Hi everyone, this is Working Title, the podcast where we, four intrepid, handsome, intelligent, and entirely fraudulent reviewers, watch and review IMDb's top 250 English language movies as of November 2019, going from bottom to top. So watch along with us, and... thing I like about films I get older, they stay the same age. Hi. <laughs> Excellent. Today. All right. Hi. Today we're watching Sin City, the 2005 uh, film noir film based on the Frank Miller uh, graphic novels of the same name. Kind of part of our streak of film noir. And uh, before we get to talking about what we thought of this movie, why don't we tell you a bit about ourselves? Shane, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, hi, I'm I'm Shane, and I'm broke. I want to offer a little bit of trivia for those who are interested in the behind the scenes. Shane doesn't have a pair of headphones. No, I'm I'm poor. Do you know how to tell us about yourself? Hold on, I spit all over myself. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Mike. Do you wanna do you wanna introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm Mike, and I just rewatched Big Fish. <laughs> and uh, I'm Jack, and as of right now, my dog has Giardia. <laughs> it's uh, it's something we don't tell to everyone. We you learned a little bit about us today. Those are all those are all facts. So, wow, what do you even say about this movie? Normally, we do a little bit of like a brief intro, but I think there's there's not much to say about it without going straight into it. Well, you know, there are things to say about it, like it's by Frank Miller. It's very stylized, and it's pretty much a shot-for-shot comic book. My first time watching it. Uh, not everyone else's, I think, so very interesting. I'll tell you what, man. This was the, uh, this was the strangest remake of Schindler's List I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so before we start talking about this, before I get... Uh, get too derailed. Mike, do you want to tell us about what kind of happens in this movie, what the plot is, uh, how it kicks off? Definitely. So the plot of this movie is a freshman film student's film noir project. That is that is what this movie is. <laughs> uh, acted out by their classmates, including uh, Bruce Willis, Elijah Wood, and Benicio Del Toro. Oh, Those no-talent ass clowns, Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez. It's the top line. Uh but honestly, it is, it is, the overview is, it is a bunch of film noir short films that all kind of tie together in Basin City, uh, which is a, you know, the sinful part of the world where we have police, hookers, uh, we have murders, rapists, and it is just the 2005's version of 1940s and 50s film noir. Uh, so it's broken down, like I said, into a bunch of stories. Well, not a bunch. It's actually only about four stories. Um, starts out with a uh, police detective who is trying to figure out a kidnapping of a young child and is chasing down a pedophile who is uh, known to be raping these kids. Uh, he's betrayed by his partner. Uh, very classic film noir kind of stories. We have the um, the narrator as the characters kind of talking over their own actions. And uh, it goes into a story that... Um, is it's pretty it's pretty brutal it's you know a lot of undertones of rape and and horrific scenes of um this person who has kidnapped this little girl bruce willis whose character is hardigan 
uh, tracks down this this uh, kidnapper and confronts him and ends up mutilating this guy. He shoots him a bunch of times, and he's the son of a senator. And uh, then we kind of leave it real quick. It's really first, like, the section is really fast at the very beginning, and we, we really don't see what happens after that. Yeah, so um, I think Undertones is putting it lightly. This is straight up a horrific city. Just tones. Yeah, just just tones. <laughs> and uh, Which is ironic because there are no color tones in the movie besides black and white and red. Oh, that's deep. Yeah. I, I... Uh, and and yellow and green. And they, they choose their, their colors. Yeah, so this is actually the, uh, the kind of inspiration for shitty Instagram filters. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. Fun fact. We also forgot to mention that it opens up with Josh Harnett. Uh, the first story is Bruce Willis, but it opens up with that little vignette, I guess, or oh, a little yeah. opening. Yeah, you could call it that. About uh, Hartnett when he's uh, talking to uh, the lady in red. Yep, and kills her, mm-hmm. of course. Um, but yeah, what, what, what do we think of this first section? Um, I'll, I'll start out with what I thought. Why does anyone live in this city? <laughs> like are the jobs good i <laughs> is the real estate just so in the shitter that you can buy a house for a quarter there's a lot of hookers apparently <laughs> yeah there's a lot of hookers there's a uh, police just like have gunfights everywhere like automatic <laughs> weapon spraying but that happens more later not so much in the story but yeah i don't know that was my piece what'd you guys think of it um, I per- personally thought that Bruce Willis looked great for being 60 years old. Yeah, he was, <laughs> a, he was a young 60. As compared to current Bruce Willis. He was currently not 60 years old. <laughs> looks, looks a little rougher. Mm-hmm. I'd say so. Shane, do you have any thoughts on this uh, this story? Yeah, I truthfully like the, the what I took from it is Bruce Willis's storyline and just him in general was my favorite part of this movie. I think he just kind of had the best part and like the best story, but um, it's a good opening because it kind of sets the tone. Once again, we're gonna use that word. That's our buzzword. But um, for what happens to good people in Sid City, when you try to do the right thing, this is what happens to you. And uh, you know, he gets shot in the back by his partner and all that stuff. But this movie's just well made. You know, good actors, good directors, and. Yeah. yeah, I thought so too. Um, I think the movie didn't really hit its comic booky uh, stride until the next story, but I thought this one definitely set the tone. Do you, do you have any thoughts on this one? Um, yeah, so the the girl, little Nancy, she's supposed to be uh, 11 years old at, 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 during this story, right? So I can only assume that the actor who played her was also 11. Who the fuck lets their kid play in this movie so actually i have a bit of trivia about that i don't know if you recognize this mm. um this actress but it's actually someone we we know from big fish oh is it miley, miley cyrus it is miley cyrus <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad you picked up what i was putting down there mike i'm just kidding i have no idea and her parents should be arrested <laughs> I just wonder what that casting call looked like. We need 11-year-old to be raped by pedophile. Almost. You know, it's like, 
you know, your child stars in this big movie and it, it's like a celebratory thing, right? You know, oh, we're going to have like a watching party. I don't know how that one went with this movie. No. <laughs> she had all her friends over. <laughs> they had popcorn and lollipops. I'd also like to mention this scene because it becomes important later. Mike, you mentioned that he shoots up the the um, Rourke Jr., who's like the, the son of the senator and kind of a the the child molester murderer everything there's nothing that's good about this guy um not only does he get shot up uh bruce willis shoots his junk off um yeah that's concerningly important for the plot um (laughs) but yeah i think what that kind of takes us through the first one yet what happens in the next one did anyone else get like weird like epstein prophecies from this movie like the frank miller knows something we didn't all right mike let's keep going <laughs> did you see who produced this movie shame <laughs> <laughs> oh harvey i had notes about that later on uh, scratch them <laughs> <laughs> i'm just saying he probably had a hand in the casting for sure jesus christ shame <laughs> all right so i want to just make a podcast <laughs> When we're dealing with topics that require sensitivity, we're going to be with Shane. No, you know what? Shane's bringing up a good point here. We need to talk about this. <laughs> All right, so in the next Should section I just leave of this now? movie. <laughs> yeah, but... All right, so the next section of the movie. So uh, the, I guess the second story of this film noir is about... Um, does it really establish what this guy is? He's kind of just this ugly dude that's had a really bad past. So they really don't go into who he is as a person. But he has this kind of like love affair with this lady named Goldie. Um, and this, you know, this ugly guy wakes up after spending this night with this with this woman and finds her murdered. And the next story is just about him trying to track down Goldie's murderers. And he just lays a trail of carnage as he tries to figure out who murdered this this prostitute Goldie. And uh, his story is about revenge. I'll say I really like the uh, the Marv storyline too. Uh, it's the most fun, I would say, if if you can say that this movie's fun. I think I think we can't say that. <laughs> it's it's fun with Elijah Wood, who is the creepiest fucking dude I've ever seen, besides Frodo Baggins. Right? Like this guy's typecast. <laughs> but, uh, uh, Elijah Wood's character like was so well done like quintessential you know just bad guy could somebody explain his character yeah so to kind of to recap a little bit so the big mystery with goldie is that she died in the middle of the night while marv was sleeping and he's got super senses because he's a like a some kind of urban wolverine or something um (laughs) and uh so he's trying to figure out who did it, and along the way he encounter, you know, he goes up to this farm, which plays more parts in the movie that the Rourke's own, where this weird guy lives, and uh, Elijah Wood playing this uh, this guy Kevin, I think his name is right. Yeah, it's Kevin. Um, yeah, Kevin is like a mute. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't show emotions, um, and he's got like sharp fingernails that he shreds people with and he does like crazy ass kung fu and so it's like this this crazy whirlwind of death in frodo baggins dressed as like a nerdy schoolboy form he's got he's got pretty cool shoes though he does have pretty cool <laughs> shoes there's actually a lot of cool shoes in this um 
<laughs> he eats people too. That's important to know. Mm. Mm-hmm. To, to further that character, so I remember um, I, this was my second time watching this movie. The first time was when it came out, and I was way too young to have been watching Sin City. But <laughs> I remember, like, because I was on like the coattails of Lord of the Rings. So I remember being like, oh, like, you know, that's Elijah Wood. Crazy. But I did not, you know, I didn't really appreciate, like, how much work, I guess, went into that character to make him the creepiest guy imaginable. Like, he shows up with his glasses that are always reflecting, like, the moonlight, zero facial expression, wearing some weird Charlie Brown t-shirt. Um, yeah, like, what, I, I would say, like, top ten bad guys. Well, I think it's funny how you point out all the work that went into the character because I was also impressed by how little work went into the acting because every shot of him is just standing perfectly still, <laughs> staring off into the distance. Give me one moment. What the fuck are you barking at? <laughs> the irony here is uh, Elijah Wood has a pet wolf, so maybe he's expressing his thoughts and views on uh, that wolf's performance. Oh, yeah, yeah so there's, uh, my- there's a whole... My- well, I think you're about to say what I was about to say. Are you about to say, Mike, talk a little bit about that? No, I was about to say that like, if that dog's eating what I think it's eating, it might have Giardia too, but oh. let's go with that, Mike. <laughs> Beautiful. Segway into what I was about to say. There's so much Giardia in this movie that it is, it is just ridiculous. <laughs> now, so the story is like... Marv is, you know, he has, there's a, there's a lot of people that are coming into this story. They all kind of, like you were saying, they kind of all tie together. The only people that really are the... the the true conglomerate throughout these four stories is the uh, the hooker syndicate. There is this syndicate of hookers who are all in every single one of these stories, and they're pretty much running Sin City. Um, and Marv has to do with that, and Elijah Wood and the senator and everything kind of ties into this hooker syndicate that's just running this city. I wrote them down as their nickname, the... Is, uh, I refer to them in my notes. Why do you even talk? Why... Do- <laughs> you know you're just gonna get censored <laughs> like i don't even know what to say but as as marv's story continues oh, Jesus fucking Christ. it gets to the point where he, he avenges goldie and uh eventually is sentenced to death at the end of his story hold, yep. this, hold on Re- recap that <laughs> you've got your work cut out for you in editing on this one yeah, or we can just mute Shane. Yeah, we can just cut his track out. <laughs> There's just a couple of points of just like blank nothing. So anyways, <laughs> at the end of the, the Marv story, um, we actually get to the point where he avenges Goldie and uh, is actually sentenced to death by the police. Yep, kind of a, as, as a, someone was mentioning before, bad things happen to good people. I thought this one was pretty interesting. I thought the character of Marv was pretty interesting. He's a, like a self-admitted, unreliable narrator, always questioning his own sanity. I thought it was pretty good. What did y'all think of this, uh, the Marv section? Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. Uh, ironically, Mickey Rourke had to wear no makeup for that role, so that's that's good. <laughs> but uh, no, he's he's like he's unstoppable. He has weird morals. He kind of is Sin City. Like he's almost like the representation of what is good in Sin City. Not like no one's actually good, but he's like the best that you have, kind of. He's like the 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 knight of Sin City almost in a way, and he's he's just fun to follow. He just blows everything up. He never dies. 
he was the he was the big lovable dumb bear of the movie like he just was kind of like i'm gonna go look go through movie and kill people that's like what his role was just just mayhem just punching through doors ripping bars out of walls yeah i'd say so um what do you think june uh, I mean, it was it was definitely the most intense uh, of all the stories. Um, I think the Marv Marv is a character. Um, there was there was a lot of depth to him, and uh, he was just like it was just badass. Like I, I don't know how else to put it. Like his his last line um, before he he gets electrocuted. Well, they they try to electrocute him once, and uh, he like comes back and he's like, "Is that all you got?" and is yeah. that just that kind of sums up his whole character death penalty round two electric mm. boogaloo ah, <laughs> i see what you did there ah got him yeah and um there was one part that came out in this where so so of course kevin had killed this uh this prostitute that he fell in love with but the hit was ordered by cardinal rourke which kind of ties things together and uh what the crime that Marv is accused of it. I mean, really, he's guilty. He did kill the Cardinal. But the uh, <laughs> the one that he's put to the death penalty for is killing the Cardinal. And I would have liked to see how that like impacted the world because I feel like some of the other events and the other stories would have been uh, pretty interesting if we saw the aftermath of that. Yeah, yeah I can agree with that. Give a little more stakes to some of the other stuff. Yeah. Um, so with that in mind... I think uh, we can move on to talking about the big fat kill, which is the next story. Is that the Clive Owen one? It is indeed the Clive Owen one. Though you might also describe it as the Benicio del Toro one. You know, again, I uh, I went through this movie for the second time, and I just the, for the first time through, I obviously did not appreciate how many big names are in this movie. They just kept coming. Yeah, Brittany Murphy, Benicio, Clive yeah. Owen. This is Rosario Dawson. Pretty impressive, I'd say. And especially, so I can't say I was um, super aware of who was big in Hollywood in 2005 because I was um, 12 at the time. Yeah. But these are certainly pretty significant actors that, I don't know. I don't, I don't think there was a single actor that I had seen or in this movie that I hadn't seen somewhere else. Right. Was this Alba's big breakout or was Blue Crush her big breakout? Was Blue Crush before this movie? Is that, a, is that a real movie? It's blue something. Into the blue or some shit. Are you uh, thinking of the hunt for blue October? Yeah, the hunt for blue October. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless, I think this was towards the beginning of her career. Like one uh, of Jessica her... Alba was in Beverly Hills 90210, dog. What are you talking about? She didn't show up until, until Good Luck Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> According to Wikipedia, her big screen breakthrough came in Honey from 2003. And then she also had box office hits, including Fantastic Four of the same year. Oh, God. Oh, Fantastic Gross. Four. I forgot about that. Yep. So I think we all forgot about that. <laughs> we, all, <laughs> we all tried. Chris Evans was in that movie, too. Huh. That one? I thought he was in a different Fantastic Four. No, he was Flame Boy. Flame Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Is that not his name? <laughs> and he was in that movie, and he played the Human Torch. No, it for, will forever be Flame Boy. <laughs> what the fuck happens in this movie? 
Well, we got Rock Guy and Flame Boy and Mr. Stretchy Pants. Okay. <laughs> 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 right. So this is the one where with like Clive Owens, the main guy, right? Hey, no, the union says you can't do this one. Mike has to do this. Oh, I'm taking up his union mandated narration. <laughs> Don't be a scab, all right? Take us away, Mike. So in this story, we have uh, a Dwight who is um, just like, a, I guess, like a badass. Like, it doesn't really say who he is, but he's kind of just a badass. And uh, he is with this girl named uh, Shelly. And uh, she has been dating or has been seeing this abusive guy, uh, Jackie Boy. And the story starts with uh, Jackie Boy showing up at Shelly's apartment and trying to force his way in with some friends. And uh, Dwight confronts him as a badass and, like, scares him off. And then they go off into town and go to the, the, the you know, the bad part of town where the, the hookers own the town, the hooker syndicate. And they have this kind of, like, square off with them where Jackie Boy actually is a police officer. And uh, there's this big confrontation between the hookers of Sin City and the police of Sin City, which is, like, mob run. It, it, it kind of hits to the fact that the, uh, the mob is very powerful with the police. And uh, there's this big show off between the hookers and the police mob of Sin City. I'd like to put in my two cents on this one. The Clive Owen story was like my least favorite storyline. Really? I like this yeah, one. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know. It seemed like out of place in a way to me. Like, it, I don't know. I feel like he could have cut it in all the other stories. I don't know. But my, uh, my big issues with this one were like, number one, Clive Owen, I don't know, what was was the set hot? Because he is sweating all the time. And I'm supposed to buy him as a badass, which his voice is totally badass. And when, but he like walks up to tell her, like, let him in, like, I'm going to take care of him. And it's like total dad bod as he's standing there. And then when he's like in his trench coat and everything and his red converse, I buy the badassness, but I don't know. Yeah, the, when I said there were other good shoes in this movie, I was thinking specifically of those red Converse. Oh, yeah. Also, Brittany Murphy. I forgot how good an actress she actually is, like or was, R.I.P. Uh, yeah, what other movies was Brittany Murphy in? Eight Mile. Oh, that's right. <laughs> are, we, are, we, are we really going to... Are we trying to convince people that she's a good actress? I think the world has accepted. She was definitely renowned as a good actress before Shane said she was. Really? Well, <laughs> now everyone knows. And okay, I'm I'm surprised. I'm shocked. <laughs> so on the like, I'm very surprised that you said that, Shane, because this was my uh, favorite uh, little uh, short story of the bunch. So I think. I don't know if this was by design or whatever, but the kind of the point you brought up about him, like not necessarily like looking or fitting what we see as the badass. I think that to me, that was kind of the point because he's like the quintessential anti-hero. Um, good, good morals, but, you know, kind of skewed execution, if you will. Um, he, he puts into action things that like we as human beings really can't. Like, you can't just go, you know, murder a bunch of people for hitting your girlfriend, you know? <laughs> so, before we get way too deep, I just want someone to answer the question for me. Why did he not kill Jackie Boy in the apartment? Because I thought, oh, okay, he gave him a warning. But then he jumps out a window to chase him down and stop him. He's like, he's going to cause trouble. I got to stop him. I was like, you were just there. 
Why didn't you stop him then? It seems like a little bit of a hole there. Someone explain to me. No, he explains it. He's like, he didn't uh, actually do anything, you know, illegal or whatever. So it, it wouldn't have been just. And he, he says something along those lines uh, when he's has his face in the toilet. So he was going to wait until he did something, then kill him? Jackie Boy was a cop. But they didn't know that at that point. The, uh, the thing I do want to mention is Dwight or Clive Owen, is uh, at the apartment with Shelly, his his new girlfriend, right? Hops out, follows Jackie Boy to Old Town, where he meets the, uh, I, I find it hilarious that you call it a hooker syndicate, but that's pretty much what it is. <laughs> yeah. Where he links up with the, oh my god, um, <laughs> links up with the hooker syndicate, and... I think, I think you're starting to realize how stupid this movie is. I think I'm the only one that is really pushing the fact that this movie kind of sucks. You're, wait, what? <laughs> you're pushing that? You can't say a movie sucks because it lives in ridiculousness. We just said Big Fish is one of our favorite movies ever. That is a fucking treat. Leave this out of it. <laughs> okay, so first, before I finish my point, I do want to make mention that this is literally a comic book in movie form. But he leaves his girlfriend's apartment, drives to Hookerville, meets the Queen Hooker, uh, going by the name of Gail. <laughs> the hookers have a high mind, though. If she dies, all the hookers die. Uh, meets Gail. He meets her, immediately falls back in love with her, despite having spent one night with her years ago. Poor Shelly. Right? Yeah, like he just... He's like, I'll protect you from that guy. And then it's just like, yeah, fuck Shelly. Who's Shelly? <laughs> I'm in love with Queen Boudicca of Hookerville. I would say my only problem with this uh, scene is that Clive Owen has the worst American accent. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Go figure. Benicio had a way better one. <laughs> it, like, it was so bad. But anyway... Um, so after he leaves the hooker syndicate or whatever, he follows, he continues following, or no. Um, He's packing up the body. Yeah, there's a big shootout, and uh, Benicio's character dies in a hilarious way. <laughs> um, I thought, you know, there was, there was so many little, like, nuances in this, in this scene. But anyway, they have to figure out how to hide the body. Apparently there's tar pits um, that he goes to to hide the bodies where nobody will find them. And the tar pits are centrally located inside of like a dinosaur park. <laughs> checks out, checks out. Yes. <laughs> and my one of my favorite little things was that, so he goes to the tar pits and then he gets like ambushed by mercenaries. No, no, no. It's, and, it's the and, real IRA that shows up. Wait, are you, are you shitting me right now? Or is that actually Are you truth? just making an Irish joke because that dude was Irish? I wanted to point out that the first mercenary that shoots him is riding on the back of a di dinosaur statue. Now, I lack some of the ambush experience of some of the gentlemen in the studio, but when you set an ambush, do you typically sit on top of a giant dinosaur statue as if you're riding it? You go through a checklist, and that's the first one that's on there, but if, if there's no dinosaur statue, you move on. This is uh, based in practicality. This isn't just comic book flair. <laughs> it's one of the first things they teach you in army basic if dinosaurs available ride them also like the scene where he's driving with benicio del toro's corpse 
who has not been all the way decapitated, is his head's just hanging, and when the car jolts, his like head moves back, and the uh, <laughs> they made a he, pest dispenser of him, as they said in the movie. <laughs> yeah, and and Clive Owen's kind of losing his mind, and and Dead Benicio's talking to him on this drive, and every time his head like moves back, his voice changes. And every time it comes back forward, <laughs> that was great. Yeah, I I think I agree with you, June. This is a on on reflection. I think this is my favorite section. But I do want to point out this emphasizes my point of who lives in this town. You just drive out. You've got fucking tar pits. <laughs> There's probably shitloads of Jardia in there. <laughs> and uh, I want to point out that this culminates in a. So they have. Um, Benicio del Toro's head, which the mob is trying to get to establish a war between the hookers and the the cops. And they, Gail gets captured and they set up a trade where Dwight brings the head of Jackie boy to trade for Gail and sticks a bomb in the mouth and blows everyone up. Meanwhile, like the, the Valley, the Canyon of death, as hookers with machine guns like gun down mobsters <laughs> below them after blowing up a, a cop's head amongst them. There's a lot of things to that like cross my mind in that, and I don't even know where to start with that scene. You're also describing the scene, and I'm pretty sure I fell asleep because I was like, what? I don't remember that. You can't say something was the worst part of the movie when you fell asleep through it. Well, I'm realizing now that I didn't see it to its full extent, so maybe that's why I'm underappreciating <laughs> Just like the entire movie of the Maltese Falcon. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're verging in the surreal. All right. What happens in that yellow bastard part two? All right. So the, the epilogue of this show, or the, I guess the, 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 the last story is about Bruce Willis. Again, we go back to him eight years later after the beginning where he was uh, accused of uh, murdering or not murdering, but I guess disfiguring the Senator's son and he's put in prison. Um, they kept him in prison. They're trying to make him admit to being the kidnapper and the rapist. And he's receiving letters from Nancy, who has been uh, growing up over eight years. And Bruce Willis is in prison, and he stops receiving letters from Nancy. And he thinks that they found her, and they caught on to, you know, where she is, and you know, caught up to her. So he uh, decides to just admit to all of the charges, which somehow gets him out of prison. Um, and he goes and tracks her down to try to save her. And he finds that Nancy is now all grown up and she is now Jessica Alba. Um, she went from Miley Cyrus to Jessica Alba. And he has this kind of a strange, like kind of father love affair. I don't know what you call it, but she is super into him. And, uh, this, the new Senator's son shows up and now he's this, you know, horrific, ugly, yellow looking guy who went through some experimental surgeries and, and treatments in order to regrow his um, missing dong. Yeah. Dong. That's a good word for it. That's the best <laughs> word for it for this podcast is dong. <laughs> and uh, he is, he, he's out to get Nancy and really hurt Hardigan. Uh, uh, so that is the conclusion of this film is Bruce Willis squaring off again with the yellow guy who is now smelly. <laughs> Uh, June, what do you think of this section? Yeah, no, I mean, this was this is what I guess kind of ties it all together. Well, I, I guess it ties it back to the first one. Um, well, and the second. Does it? 
Yeah, as he comes into the bar to find Nancy, he sees Marv. Marv is there watching. Oh, yeah, I mean, he's he's there. Yeah, it's it's not like a full-on, like, stories merge, but you can see where they... I guess Kevin shows up in this storyline, too, a little bit, but not fully. Yeah, he's, like, there for a second reading a book or some shit. The Bible? Long story short, he saves the girl, he kills the bad guy, and uh, Jessica Alba's character, uh, Nancy, who is all grown up now is in love with Bruce Willis' character. And, uh, like, I guess out of love, he he knows that they'll they'll keep hunting um, and using using Nancy to get to him. So he kind of sends her off, saying everything's going to be okay, and then he shoots himself, thus kind of ending ending that whole saga, I guess. And I, 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 think, I think that was pretty deep. Yeah, I thought it was a really interesting bookend. Um, so the, in the first one, it ends with him getting shot by his partner, who's kind of betrayed him. And I think in the first one, he says like something about an old man's life ends, a, you know, a young girl's life is saved, good trade, or something like that. Yeah, He says that at the end of the second part as well. And I think it's kind of an interesting, because um, you might call it like an inversion on the whole idea of like finishing what he started. You're also all forgetting the best part of that story, which was uh, Slub and Clump, the uh, lovable henchmen. Those guys were awesome. I could watch that story like three times just to hear them talk about their Ferrari that they bring for the (laughs) heist. It doesn't have a trunk to hide a body in. (laughs) So we, we may not be communicating this well, but this movie was actually really funny at parts too. Yeah. I want to I want to also mention that one of the uh another amusing unexpected celebrity appearance was Nick Offerman as one of those guys. Really? Wait, really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. So the name was uh Clump and Schlub, right? Yeah. Uh Nick Offerman played Schlub. Wow. Yep. No. He wasn't he wasn't the chatty one, but he was the other guy. Huh. Huh. So yeah, any other thoughts on that? Mike, do you have any thoughts on that last section? Um, yeah, I think it was actually the best part of the whole movie. I liked uh, the beginning part, and I liked the end part, and I think they should have just cut it down to a 40-minute movie and cut out the middle part. <laughs> right. <laughs> this one made you like really feel kind of the grimy nature of Sin City, where you're... This one makes you just kind of feel uneasy the entire time, which I guess is what this movie's supposed to do. I feel like this storyline really did that the most. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. Um, Like, I feel like this one had maybe the least moral ambiguity. What made it really weird for me is that she fell in love with him at 11 and continued to be in love until she was 19. That's just just not a good mental state. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I think this this was a, a little different... Uh, like juxtaposition based on the other uh, three or two stories, the the one with Marv, it's just a hell bent revenge, you know, story. You know, he ends up being killed, and he he won his like battle, but in the end, you know, lost the war, or whatever. Um, with the Clive Owen story again, good good intent, but you know, I guess going about it the wrong way, and I think. This one is the more most uh, complete uh, ending, mm-hmm. in the sense that you kind of see that he is like the good guy because he he sacrifices himself, which is kind of different from the other two stories, I think. Yeah, this one felt 
bleak and futile to me in a way that the others didn't. I like the last one because it, it it wasn't just about Bruce Willis's character winning. It was more about the worst character in the film losing. I like that more. I liked watching that part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She is undeniably the most awful person in this movie. Yeah, I'd say so. So kind of taken as a whole, what what do we think of like the whole movie altogether? Like what 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 do y'all think? What are your thoughts? Overall, I thought it's it's good to see a film that was paying homage to film noir instead of like being on the cutting edge of it. You know, this had all the little tropes of what we know as the classic film noir. Um on top of that, the the cinematography I think was genius. You know, it adapted the uh the graphic novel look very well. Like you could tell it without ever knowing that this was based on a graphic novel that like hey, this looks like a a, a comic book. And not only just like low key lighting, but the contrast in the lighting. It brought the scene out. Um, yeah, and just just all the shots, the little like shadows. Um, I thought that was very good. Yeah, it really felt to me like it kind of not only like picked up and used a few tropes, but it like just grabbed them and ran with them and kind of reveled in the tropes. Like it turned it up to eleven. Which was enjoyable. So I'd like to uh, to start us in on a, a new section. Uh, we're debuting in today's podcast. We're going to answer questions about the movie from our listeners. And by that, I mean, I've searched Yahoo Answers for questions about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to pose them to uh, our our group. So we'll... Wait, before we get into this, are we are we only going to go off of you and June's like final <laughs> statements of this movie? Yeah, fuck you guys. <laughs> While we're here, Mike, what do you think of this movie? <laughs> uh, I honestly felt like it was a satire of film noir. Like going off of what June said, hitting on the points of hitting all the tropes, it was almost an embellishment of those tropes. It was almost making fun of film noir. Maybe I could see it. I I. I... I could see that. I, I saw it as more, as more of a, like I said, like paying homage versus making fun of it. But I think I'd agree, but I think it was self-aware in a, in a way that like it was aware of how over the top it was as opposed to as opposed to like the the original film noir movies, which that's fair. At, least, at least compared to this, were very understated. Okay. This I, I think it had a, a self-awareness. Um, anyway, so to our new section where we answer questions. Yeah, no, I didn't want to put in my two cents. That's fine. Okay. Wait. <laughs> All right, Shane, say your goddamn two cents. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you guys. He's about to squander it anyway. Well, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I, I like this movie, obviously, but... The one thing I like about movies directed by Robert Rodriguez, even though he wasn't the only director, I think he did the majority of it, is it's going to be a film that you don't feel like you've seen before, good or bad. He just did well this time, probably because he wasn't using his own material. But I mean, Spy Kids was great and all, but maybe Frank Miller's Spy Kids is a little better. (laughs) Now, I, I like how this movie, it's dirty, it's grimy it's but it's 
elegant at the same time. And yeah. All right. Does anyone else have anything they want to say about this movie? Let's see what the listeners have to have gotten. All right. So now that the cat's out of the bag, and this isn't a surprising intro anymore, we're going to move on to our new section where we answer questions from our listeners. And by that, I mean, I search for this movie on Yahoo Answers and read questions to the group. So (laughs) first question from Jenny T asked an entertainment and music uh, subsection movies one decade ago. Can anyone explain the ending of Sim City for me? It was with Becky from the second story, and this random guy goes, Becky, care for a smoke? And the narrator goes, if you turn a corner in Sin City, you can find anything. Anything. Does this tie in with the story somehow, or is this just ellipses there? Question mark, question mark. Oh, Jenny. Um, yeah, Josh Harnett is... <laughs> The retribution of Sin City. He's going to kill you with cigarettes. Smoking kills. It always catches up with you. Right. Okay. So I do know the answer to this one. Um, Not from my own uh, noticing, but because I was researching this movie after watching it. But this guy is actually a paid hitman that people call on themselves to to clean themselves up. It's not super uh, well explained in the movie, but... That would have been nice to know. Wait, what? Yeah, no, people call Josh Harnett take out hits on themselves. The, the, wait, the, wait, the actor, so... Josh Harnett. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's where he's gone. So they call him to kill them. Yes. See, I thought he was like from the mob. Like, uh, you think you win, but you never win in Sin City type thing. Yeah, I, it may be a bit of a nod to the, the graphic novel. It may be better explained there, but that's that's his role. That's what he does. Huh. Then why is everybody so damn surprised? When... <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> You're so early. <laughs> <laughs> is, is, is he like the cable guy? Like, I'll be there in, in a window between 10 and 4. <laughs> <laughs> that's a stupid job. How does he get paid? <laughs> if I had to guess in advance. <laughs> now he just pockets whatever you have on you at the time god damn it two dollars <laughs> <laughs> all right next question is the okay every word capitalized is the movie pulp fiction anything like sin city uh subtext also every word capitalized i didn't really like sin city and everybody try, tells me to try pulp fiction so i wanted to ask before i waste my money is pulp fiction really that good like everyone said can i can i take this one Take it, Mike. Uh, so the answer is no. This next question, we kind of touched on it already. Uh, Batmantis, 1999, asked End of Sin City. In the end of Sin City, how did Josh Harnett's character know that the hooker's name was Becky? And in the very beginning, the woman in the red, red he killed in the red dress was the actress that plays Belle in Days of Our Lives? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Now, this is a question we can get behind. <laughs> yeah, we, we know about the Josh Harnett, but... Bell and Days of Our Lives. Mantis is asking the real questions here. (laughs) What ramifications are there if she is or is not in Days of Our Lives? Well, it's actually really important because the movie universes intersect. That means Days of Our Lives is set in Sin City. Oh, so I guess next week we watch Days of Our Lives. (laughs) All of it. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. And then final question. Now, last time every word in this question was uppercase. Now there's not an uppercase letter to be found. Um, in Sin City, why did Clive Owen wanted the head of the cop? I don't understand that part between the cop and the hookers. Does it actually say wanted? Yes. Why did Clive Owen wanted the head of the cop? <laughs> <laughs> but like, listen to that. Ask yourself, why did Clive Owen wanted the head of the cop man? <laughs> June, I think, actually, my, why did Clive Owen wanted the head of the cop? <laughs> Someone please explain. <laughs> I don't understand that part between the cop and the hookers. Because he wanted it, it, it. Yep. All right, there we have it. So hopefully all of our listeners have had the questions answered. Um, so just some random stuff about the movie. Uh, I think generally well-received. Rotten Tomatoes has it at 77%. The box office, it brought in, I think, a, a total worldwide of almost $160 million. And uh, I think cost $40 million, so did well. Um, and, of course, um, I don't think it won any significant awards, which is interesting. Um, competed for a few, but did not win any. So one thing we like to do here on this podcast, uh, since we're working off the top 250 IMBD movies, um, we have this ranking that we got from IMBD, but we'd like to rank it ourselves, kind of impose our own order on the world. And uh, so we like to see where everyone else ranks it. So, so far we've seen uh, five movies. First of all, June, where do you put this one? Hold on. You're telling me that the MTV Movie Award for Sexiest Performance for Jessica Alba is not a recognized accolade? I am I not mean... recognizing it because it should have gone to Elijah Wood. Because it definitely won. Who is her competitor? Jiggly? (laughs) (laughs) Um, That being said, I would rank this at number two. So below Big Fish. Ahead of Touch of Evil, below Big Fish. Yes. Interesting. It is great. Great movie, but not Big Fish great. Shane, where would you put it? I think I'm going to second that i think uh, it should be second yeah uh, below big fish i mean this is starting to look like you know like oh you know you guys just don't appreciate old movies well i it's just a good movie and i although i slept through part of it apparently i woke up and was still entertained that's a good sign <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> it's it's definitely number two i'd like to remind our listeners that we are serious film critics <laughs> Mike, what do you think of this movie? Where do you rank it? Uh, it didn't hit number two for me. It actually dropped below Maltese Falcon. So number Interesting. three. Interesting. Really? I I think I would echo Shane and June, and I'd put it at number two behind Big Fish, just ahead of Maltese Falcon. Well, I mean, the only thing that I didn't like about it was it just... So I loved it the first time I saw it, when I was, you know, 14, 15 years old when it first came out. Uh, yeah. 15 years old when it first came out it was great but now as a 30 year old adult it was just kind of silly it was kind of stupid i can say i know why you loved it at 15 that's all i'm gonna say no i just appreciate black and white what were you thinking of 
I'm gonna get cut anyways. So I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> now you're getting it. <laughs> and with that, well, we have a we have one final final section, our final verdict. Do we recommend watching it, Mike? Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, it's 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 fun, and I liked it the first time. So if you've never seen it before, watch it once, but don't ever watch it again. All right, Shane. Uh, yes, you should wanted to watch this movie. June? Yes, absolutely. And then, if you have seen, if you were like us and saw it at a younger age, I would watch it again. Don't watch this movie with your kids. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So as to whether I recommend watching it, I think this is a great family-friendly movie. Um, just really fun for the whole family. Uh, <laughs> it's about family. It's you know like you. Like Aesop's Fables, it's kind of a moral play. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I think everyone could learn something from this movie, young or old. It's great entertainment. The kids learn something. I'd say watch it. But actually, I would say watch it. Well, great. So I think it's a wrap on Sin City. And uh, join us next week where we'll be watching Sleuth, a movie that right now I know nothing about. Me either, actually. Shit. <laughs> it has Michael Caine in it. Oh, no way. <laughs> <laughs>